0: You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from Sealink interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming, and guess who's back? Liam Kirley, what is happening in Macclesfield this week, Liam? Have you got any big news, any big offence? What's going on? No, do you know something I don't? <laughs> well, you know, I don't Are know. Are you throwing a surprise be. party for me or <laughs> thought, I've thought about that. I've thought about doing that many, many times, but still haven't quite really? got that over the line, yeah. Thought about a little summer fate, you know, with a couple of. Uh, Stalls with scarifying and all, all the things that you love the most. So, I thought, thought about it a few times, but still haven't quite got, got around to it.
0: Oh, well, they said it's just a thought that counts, don't they?
1: Yeah. So, so I what don't, is I don't Nothing. I don't personally believe in that, to be honest. <laughs> you want action. Yeah.
0: Thought's <laughs> worthless.
1: So, what have you been doing?
0: I went to Jodrell Bank. Oh, yeah, you did, didn't you? How was Rich that? Which was great. It was great. And what they're building reminds me very much. That they're renovating of my second favourite service station in the country, <laughs> and you know, you know that you're one, the
1: gift Paul. that keeps on giving. Go on, what's the, what, let's before we get into it. What's your first favourite service station? I've forgotten station? what
0: it's called now. I always oh. forget, don't I? You know the one in Cumbria they're doing a documentary on, mm. yeah. and then Gloucester's the second favourite,
1: and it reminds you of that.
0: Yeah, it's like a green roof type structure coming out that you can walk on,
1: and it's a. Uh, Giant telescope, is it? Is that right?
0: We're probably going too much down this line, but uh, <laughs> Joe Banks, famous for I think it's the Lovell telescope, I think it's called. Oh, I bet you, um, I
1: bet you, our uh, our guest knows something about I've it. I've gone is, too is,
0: far, is I've gone too far already. He strikes me as the it, sort
1: it, of man that would know something about it, so. Oh, uh, he doesn't, maybe not. So, oh, I um, thought Ian would, actually, yeah. Uh, so, so today, listeners, sorry, we, 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 went off, we went off on a bit of a tangent there. But, sorry. Um, sure <laughs> today, we are, we are talking about Bim again, and we are welcoming back the man who is the most dapper of guests we've ever had, and therefore, we're welcoming back one of our favourite guests, uh, Ian Miskiman of Bentley Systems, our guru on BIM. How's it going, Ian?
2: Ah, oh, very well, thanks very much, Paul. Really good indeed. Enjoying the uh, the bit of sunshine we're finally getting, and always Are we? pleased. Well, yes, well I am. Uh, no, that's all know, right for you? I've been out and about enjoying the uh, the sunshine most of the week, um, but then again, Excellent. you guys have actually got to work, so shucks. No one has a
1: lifestyle <laughs> as good as yours, Ian. <laughs>
2: Well, one would like to think so, but uh, yes, life is going exceedingly well, very, very well indeed. Lots of really cool new things uh, floating around in the old brain, which is good, trying to uh, resolve the world's problems um, and see if we can make a better world of the, the whole place. Lots of new countries looking for advice. And assistance uh, since we last spoke, which is great. So they're starting their BIM journeys, and it's really nice that they are starting by looking for advice rather than looking for technology or software. Uh, which is, oh, it just yes, it it's the only way to start really. Don't start buying lots of technology off of a, a software vendor because, quite frankly you're probably not going to be able to solve your problems. What you need to do is get some good, honest advice uh, and then uh, move on that. So, yeah, it's just nice that they're, they're they're looking at that and looking to build from the ground up rather than looking just to buy it out of a box. Excellent. And so,
1: before we get into the episode, I wanted to ask one question today.
2: I've put on a shirt today
1: following heavy critique from you last time. I admit, I'm not wearing a waistcoat and... Go on, it looks all right, doesn't it? I'm not wearing a waistcoat and a tie, but... Are you impressed? Is it is it a step in the right direction? Um, if you'd ironed it, it would have been lovely. But it was, uh, um, it was ironed at the beginning of the day. We're we're recording late afternoon, and of, of course, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Ian really is a is, is a is a clash of cultures within one. He's, he's off for most of the week, but when he is on, he really he is, is on. on. Yeah, you exactly. know, he's, ah. he's not. Um, on the fence on anything.
2: Absolutely not. No, but no, that's not no, Ian. I'm pleased that you've made the effort. Thank you very much. Uh, no it, problem. It, it you know, it hits me right here in the feels so I'm feeling really quite, you know. Well, yeah. I did it just for you, so
1: I'm glad it's had so it's Thank been you. impactful. So Thank you. <laughs> so jumping to the episode. In episode twenty one we talked about and you really helped us to understand BIM in simple terms, which was really, really good. Uh, It certainly helped me understand it. I mean, I've been in construction for 15 plus years and knew knew about BIM, but the way you described it in simple terms, and uh, I think one of the phrases used was the Google of construction, you ask it a plain language question, and the algorithm gives you plain language answer, and that kind of helped me to understand that in the context of BIM. What I wanted to talk about with you today was, we will have a lot of listeners who will have taken on board what was said in that episode, and will want to try and think about how they can actually input that and into the, their business process, etc., etc. So, I want to imagine today that I am a property developer. I'm building 20 flats in North London, where I live, for instance, and I'm really focused on delivering high quality products for a high end market. Only the best, only the best, Ian and um, but I do, I do want to do it economically, as economically as possible, but obviously going for a higher-end product. So I want everything that we discussed to be in that context. So at the start of the project, which is where I am, could you describe how
2: I start using BIM and how you think I should start using BIM? Well, I think what you've done is you've started in the right place because you are looking for a high-quality delivery, Okay. And BIM is all about improving the quality of what you deliver and therefore improving the value of what you deliver, okay? Because if it wasn't, what would be the point in doing it in the first place? Because it is all about increasing productivity within your work teams. It's about improving the quality of the things, the physical things that you are delivering straight away, but also improving the the whole life cycle cost of your items. OK, so what you don't want to do is deliver something quick and easy that falls apart in six months time, because even though you are the housing developer and you've just completed your product, step fine, right, move on to the next one. If everything falls apart in six months time or needs replacing or isn't maintainable properly, your reputation is going to go downhill quite rapidly and the chances are you're never going to get to develop anything high quality ever again. Uh, You'll just get a bad reputation. So having a good reputation of a high quality deliverable that doesn't need a lot of um, expensive and time consuming maintenance over the next 20, 30 years is really important. It's like anything you buy out there. Let's say uh, you're looking for uh, let's say you're looking for a suit and you buy the cheapest suit that you can get on day one. You attend your interview, OK, uh, and it looks the suit looks wonderful. It looks great, shiny, you know, a nice little pinstripe, etc. And then by day 20 of the actual job itself, the seams are starting to come undone. The button's starting to fall off. The lining starting to sag. And it's looking a bit sad and tired and rubbish. And that's the same sort of thing with the building, because if I went and bought something really cheap, building wise. Okay. Um, Yes. Okay. I can deliver that product quickly and cheaply, but actually cheap for who? Because five years time, maybe even one year's time, it's going to start falling apart. And if I don't have good quality information about that thing, and also if I don't have good quality products in the first place, it's going to be really expensive to keep that thing going into the future it's always been the, the the paradox sorry i sort of uh <laughs> i'm moving off onto a tangent here but it's always been that paradox in this world that um you have the the poor man and the rich man uh, and the poor man can't afford a, a, a wonderful pair of shoes so they buy a relatively cheap pair of shoes and every year they have to replace them but most of that year they got wet feet it's slightly uncomfortable blisters corns whatever that might be but every year they have to replace that pair of shoes because they just fall apart whereas the rich man buys a pair of shoes good quality that will last for five, five years but cost five times as much as the poor man's shoes but those are good quality and they'll be fine for him but the problem there of course is that um, the poor man can't afford to buy the expensive shoes they can only afford to buy a certain small amount of money every five years whereas the rich man can afford to buy that expensive pair of shoes straight off and what we're doing here for the construction industry is giving the ability for that owner to buy the expensive pair of shoes, but for the lower poor man's costs. Because they can better understand what they're buying, how they're buying it, and being able to make better decisions during that procurement process, not just buying a thing, but buying the whole construction thing itself. And um, that
1: makes... That and that makes perfect sense to me and that's I don't want to carry. Can I ask it. a question,
0: Paul? So if Paul is the developer and he's buying quality products, he's got a contractor that has a reputation for quality and he has an architect that is deemed to be a good architect. But no BIM. Does the BIM introduce with regards to quality? How does it improve the quality? considering those first three
2: okay so if you've got a, a really good if you're delivering really good quality products in the first place which are, are quite expensive okay and you've got a a good quality architect once again quite expensive and you're delivering a high-end something like the chances are they're doing bim style activities without calling them bim in the first place because a good quality architect will go through a lot of the quality assurance processes, will go through a lot of the um, information management processes to make sure that they're delivering exactly what the end user wants in the first place. They might not call it BIM, but actually they're going through those BIM processes. And what they'll also be doing is they'll be selecting their materials and their products based on certain criteria and information. So they're making a decision to buy a good quality product and that good quality product decision comes from having good information not only about the products you're using at the moment but also their past performance because you want to know has that type of um, product performed well in other construction works great for the last 20-30 years and if it has then that's the one you're going to buy and you don't mind spending a little bit extra money buying the good quality thing if you know you're gonna get that long term benefit from it. And I think that is probably one of the things that we come across a lot is that people are doing BIM activities without calling them BIM, without knowing that it's a BIM activity.
0: So I'm because I'm thinking about particularly on the construction side, so big contractors who are considered to be they they, they consider themselves to be good contractors that Clients generally do, and they they're not using BIM. So, if we could encourage them to use BIM, what impact would that make? Because they presumably, and I I may be presuming wrong, but I'm guessing there's there's got to be contractors out there. Well, a lot of contractors aren't using BIM, and I doubt they're all poor quality contractors. Uh, and I'm not suggest I'm not saying that you're suggesting they are. But what I'm trying to get clarification on is, if they introduced BIM, th- which is what we're saying, most small developers aren't using BIM. What can they expect to see happen if they introduce it well?
2: So I can see sort of see where you're you're coming from here. Um, and as I say there are a lot of contractors out there doing the same old thing. Good quality deliverables but actually it's the same thing that they've been doing for the last 20 30 40 years Um, and if you look at their uh, profit margins for their uh, construction they're getting two to three percent on their uh, projects year in year out if it's a good year all right two to three percent if I was any other type of company rather than a contractor I would be shocked and horrified That two to three percent is all I'm getting, and they say that's that's on a good day because there are projects out there that quite frankly do get ten percent, which is great. But then that means that the average being two percent, there must be a lot of them. They're making losses, or they're just breaking even. So what does BIM give us here? Well, BIM is giving us the ability to increase the productivity in our construction sites and make sure that we're actually earning more profitability on those uh, things. You can get away. With two to 3%. Great, okay. You keep going on like that, and you keep going on like that for 10, 20, 30, 40 more years. But those who are doing BIM, doing digital twins, and looking at information of how it improves their productivity, uh, their value of their deliverable, the value of their companies, um, their responsibilities, and their um, their reputations will actually start to pull away from you and start earning perhaps 10, 20, 25% profit on those projects. So what's going to happen? Well, those who are delivering good quality and making a lot of money are going to invest more in better quality services, faster, more efficient, getting uh, something that clients are really going to want and not just the client organisations, but the end users and the consumables. And those who are making 2 to 3% year in, year out, just scraping by, I'm afraid, are going to uh, uh, disappear. There was a great couple of reports that came out over the last few years. Um, 2016 was, I think it was 2016, was the Farmer Review. Farm Review, brilliant little catch line right at the very, very bottom. It said, modernize or die. And, And there you go. There you have it. You can either bring a contractor or consultant organization who involved in construction up to modern methods of construction up to bim type techniques and methods or you can just slowly fade away and disintegrate over the next 10 die. 15 and die yeah and and that's that's all i can say on that one i think you would have to take something specific and look at the, um, the value proposition of a company. You would have to understand what type of information are gonna allow them to make a better profit. And there are two really quick, easy wins for those companies. One is looking at that information to assure their investors that they're taking less risk. And with less risk, they have to pay back less interest rates on the money they're borrowing to build the housing estate you know if I'm servicing a hundred million pound loan to build a uh, um, you know a a new housing estate and I'm paying seven percent per year for that loan but then if I do the information I show I'm doing less risk I'm only paying five percent well hang on a minute that's a lot of money a year that I'm using to service that loan and actually that's the kind of money that I could spend I could spend a tenth of that make myself a modern company using those methodologies, save that money and produce a better quality product in the end. So, you know, some really simple things, but we've got to look at business and value rather than just necessarily going technology. Absolutely. I still
1: think that this is where I really want to get the conversation is really focused on. Because we're talking at 2 to 3% margins, you're talking about the big tier one contractors. Uh, a lot of the people listening will be expecting to see 10% ish margins for their SME contractors who they are imp- employing. But I really want to focus in the second half on how we can go back to my project in North London and how we can get value on that project. So let's talk about that just after this lovely little break.
0: Owner build is brought to you from our sponsor, CLink. Software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. Find subcontractors, automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with CLink. To find out more, head to c-link.com. Now back to the show.
1: So, Ian, I was a big fan of your analogy about shoes there. I like shoes. Um, <laughs> well, so, being a,
2: a quantity surveyor, I can see why, really, because you have to have good quality shoes to run away from the project you to get you've just done digging. over. Yeah. You, had,
1: you had to get your digging, didn't you? Ian's <laughs> not a fan of QSs. But don't worry, I'll stick up for you. So you said something. It, it resonated with me there, actually, what, your analogy. You said... A poor man can't buy the same quality shoes as a rich man, so they have to buy five pairs of shoes. Everyone heard it. Now, I do not want to characterise SMEs as the poor man here, but going back to my case study, I'm a developer in North London, 20 units. I don't have the budget of the rich man to be able to invest 5X to, to get BIM, although I understand If i got BIM, it's going to start to change my business. So the question is, going back to my 20 units, considering I have a small team, I I don't have this big in-house resource. Can you describe to me how I can start to use it?
2: Well, I think as we covered in the last podcast, it's finding out what is valuable to you as an organization. Because it might be something as simple as just speeding up the payments from the uh the tier one contractors or from the client organizations that are are doing this so uh, standard terms and conditions on a lot of uh, companies in 90 days so uh, an sme will be doing their work and they'll complete it and then they're going to have to go through a whole process of proving that they've completed that work and then they're going to have to wait for 90 days to get their money which is why they are the poor man in the shoes world is because the main clients and the the main contractors etc won't pay them for 90 days Um, which is crazy because you've already done the work but you've got to jump through all these hoops to prove that you've done it and some of the things in the BIM world is just purely being able to prove through information that you have completed the work that you've done to a level that's satisfactory you think well but that that just is simple that makes sense but it's information and it's information that is collected recorded managed disseminated and then acted on so it is a BIM activity that will allow you to speed up the payments from the main client or the project bank account And that's something else we really need to to have a chat about because it was part of the the, sort of the drive with BIM was also something called Project Bank Accounts. And I don't know whether you've come across them. Lots of talk, not a lot of action is is my experience. uh, Well, precisely, um, because they really need to uh, help that smaller, the SME organizations, those Project Bank Accounts need to be set up to help ease the money going through the supply chain purely because you're no longer applying to the main contractor for the money Uh, and if the main contractor goes down, carillion, suddenly all your money that you're going to get paid vanishes, disappears. But if it's in a project bank account it's got a ring fence around it which means that they can't touch it. It can only be touched by proving the work is done and then you get your payment. So therefore a simple BIM activity could just by proving the fact that you've done the work knowing what you need to do how you can then measure that it has been achieved so that's an information requirement and then being able to prove that it's been done to the project bank account or whoever's holding the the qs strings could just speed up your cash flow and if cash flow is your king is that the thing that's that's causing your organization problems then hell you have just solved one of your big problems by doing a very tiny, small BIM activity. And that's just one thing. So you could step through and do a load of things, whether it's uh, completion of work, whether it's tracking materials, things like, um, We've got to get better with tracking materials, you know, the Grenfell problems, you've read the report, you've seen the fact that um, somebody procured some sort of cladding. It was the decision was made to put it on, even though they knew certain things, but they needed to work out who'd made the decision, where it was procured from, why they procured it, how much they got. And all the way through to the installation points and the uh, the point of ignition. That's all a, a, a BIM activity so it might just be the activity that you need to do is you're installing cladding on the side of a building but you need to prove when the decisions were made what was procured how it was procured where it came from who the manufacturer was because there is a lot of fake materials out there in this world i remember doing some work on some uh, highways projects or must be 10 years ago and there was fake ironwork coming out of china okay had a little um kite mark on it but instead of being able to take a uh, a major hgv driving over the top of it it would just shatter it looked the same reacted to the same to small cars but it couldn't take the weight but because they didn't track where that um, item was coming from then they couldn't prove uh, who made the decision to purchase it etc etc so you know, reputation's lost, money is lost, potentially accidents and, um, you know, lives could be lost just purely because you've not collected, acted on that information. Just so I understand better, how, how does BIM
1: allow you to track exactly where the product is from and to verify that?
2: Could you explain that? So BIM defines, or one of the BIM activities gets you to define what information is important. Okay, so that's creating your Asset Information Requirements Package. Okay, so the Asset Information Requirements Package defines if I have a thing, what information do I gather at any moment in time, and what information do I use at any moment in time, all the way through the life cycle. So one of the pieces of information that I would ask to gather at the point of manufacture for, say, a a cladding panel for the outside of a building or uh, a bit of ironwork for um, going into um, a motorway is I would gather what its rating is, what material it is, and who guarantees that it's rated for X, Y, and Z. And so that information goes into the system, and it's procured by you as the the, the contractor in that job because you are procuring not only the physical asset, the bit of cladding but you're also procuring the digital asset which is could be a spreadsheet could be a pdf diagram could be a word document or could just be a simple piece of metadata that somebody sends you in an email okay but you are buying that information So you buy that information and it goes into your system, your BIM system, your information management system. Yeah, your library. We call it a common data environment, which is like a term that's got lots of different things in there. It's your asset information model. And that information is there. So let's say five years time, something goes wrong. The piece of ironwork collapses, a lorry goes through, there's an accident. Unfortunately, somebody might get hurt. They go, so where do we buy this and what's it rated to? Click, bring Siri up on your phone. Siri, um, the panel at coordinates XYZ, serial number 349246. Can you give me the information about the procurement of that? And it pops up on your screen. Right, okay, we know exactly why it was procured, how it was procured, who made the decision and who signed it off. So we can go to that company and go.
1: Mm. You're starting
2: to sound like a QS, here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's one of the weird things that I came to the conclusion after our last conversation. Was actually QSs might be. So let's actually kind of like take the them best out of people that. on the planet. Yeah, I agree. Well, not the best people on the planet, but the best people to take out of their current jobs and put into a BIM role. Because they understand value. They understand the importance of information and acting on that information. And also they understand how to logically go through a set of processes and standards to achieve something that increases the productivity and the, the you know the, the end value of the project, the deliverable value, which is your profitability. So I kind of thought, well, maybe if they could just forget all that sort of, you know, nastiness that they got in their minds, <laughs> and, and we no actually, charisma. Well, well, yeah, well, quite frankly, you know, make sure that we give them a bit of a charisma injection, um, <laughs> and perhaps take them to a good tailor. Um, oh. They could <laughs> they can make a a good bim person because they really do understand that kind of thing.
1: Um, so that's that's interesting. You're saying that because in our last chat we were talking about how who would be your BIM manager, who would start to put together all of that information. What you're saying is that we have found a place that the QSs can settle in, in, in the future world and that is potentially in managing BIM
2: in-house. Yeah, and what, this will be is the fact that we are looking at potentially almost kind of like making uh, the QS role redundant because the systems, the databases and the artificial intelligence can replace them relatively simply because we'll have digital contracts, you'll have digital bill of quantities, you'll have a, a digital set of outcomes and you'll be able to query those and work out the best ways of doing things without needing a person to do that. So, hell, why not take the person whose job that you are sort of phasing out and put those into that role of making sure that information is good and understanding how best to uh, define what it is, how to collect it, where to manage it, how to manage it, and how to disseminate it out to the uh, the people who actually need it, who can make the decisions uh, and take the actions.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Talking of uh, BOQs and measurement, how does BIM deliver a Bill of Quantities? Can it do that yet?
2: Yeah, it's it's, kind of like, it's almost a little bit child's play really. Um, this is the the 5D modelling you hear a lot about. The fact that you've got a uh, potentially a library of objects in your CAD environment your 3D CAD environment as you do your design work you're taking things out of that library and placing them in places uh, around that building and then at the end of that all you're doing really is you're you're pressing a button creating a list of all the objects inside there most likely to some sort of uniclass classification Um, and it will say you've got all these items you've got four of those three of those two of those this is where they all are This is um, the specification against them. So some of them might need a, you know, if it's a pump, it might need a certain volume per second. You know, you might have two or three different specifications in there. But that could go against a simple procurement database that just goes off and says, right, what's the best item out there to be able to fulfill this bill of quantities? Okay, not what is the cheapest, but what's the best? Because there'll be information out In other people's BIM environments, so we're going to get on about a little bit later about anonymizing information and selling information at the end of your project. That's another really cool thing that you can be able to do Um, so. You'll be able to work out, you know, did this item in the last 20 projects elsewhere in the world? How many times did it have to be reinstalled? How many times did it fail? How often is the maintenance? What kind of costs those maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. And the workout, actually, this thing that costs a bit more in the long term is cheaper rather than this thing that costs less to buy. It's actually, it falls apart every six months. So, therefore, we keep having to replace it.
1: I guess that's that's the thing about BIM and where it is heading, and where the whole sector is heading, right, in terms of technology and what it's going to do. I still feel like there is a bit of a gap to the SMEs. I I still feel like there's something there, even just trying to understand it myself and the application to the smaller end of the market, I'm going to call it. I still feel like there is a bit of a gap there, but what I am taking away from all of this is that particularly with what you've just describing there as to where it is heading to ignore BIM is to do so at your own peril really moving forward because it's, it's, it, we are now in a position where it's been here for decades. It's really developing. There are many experts out there that can support you in using BIM or starting to better understand it and bring it into your business. And if you're, we, we talk Liam about if you're a serial property developer builder and you're going to be spending so much money on construction through your business's life cycle. You can't ignore construction; you need to focus on it. It's a, it's a similar thing, right? You're going to be building, and BIM is going to be a big part of building. It already is. It may not quite be hitting home with the SMEs just what, yet, but
0: what I don't understand as well, Ian and Paul, is, and I, I kind of touched on this last time, but if I were in developing, you know, I would be looking into BIM immediately i would say i need this and i don't understand i know you can't say how much it's going to cost i know the last in the last podcast you mentioned ways to to get started but i just don't understand and we're talking about the initial expense and cash flow but how much really do you need to invest to get this going because you were talking about 5d modeling and and all the benefits you're talking about i just think you need to be doing this but what kind of investment? What level of investment does it need?
2: Okay, so let's 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 break this one down. Um, let's say we'll go back to this twenty buildings site. that we're gonna we're gonna. 20 building site right so the first set of things that you need to to think about is the investigation of the site is there existing information already and can you trust it so that's a bim activity already so things like ground investigation you're looking at um covenants on the building site uh, is there anything sort of you know legal stuff so you're going to do investigation so that's a lot of information that's got to come in and you've got to act on it you've also then got to think about how you would raise the capital Okay, so there are activities in here that are BIM activities that you're not spending additional money on, but what you're doing is instead of taking that information, having it on a piece of paper, or leaving it on an email, putting it on a PDF in a, in, in a on a hard drive somewhere, you're putting it in some sort of common data environment, okay? And whether your common data environment is shock horror, a Dropbox, maybe not, or just purely a well-managed SharePoint site or one of the other type of systems out there, you know, the, the accommodator environments like the Project Wises that the infrastructure world use, um, that kind of thing. You've got to have something to manage information to make it valuable, to make it searchable, to make it secure and, you know, all kind of managed in the right sort of ways. So information that's going to be coming in from your site searches and from your legal stuff, that information potentially has to then go back out again to people in the financial world so you can get your loans to build whatever it is you're building because now you've demonstrated a bit of the risk and a bit of what's going to be going on. So instantly there's a little bit of money to be made because one, you're managing information that's coming in and then potentially not having to rework it later on when you find a problem. Two, you're having to be able to give access to that information to the financial people a long-term access to that financial people so they can see what risks you are taking with their money. You've got to think about then, I'm going to insure the project. So I've got to go to the insurers and go, well, you know, I'm going to build this 20 thing. This is the ground give you access to the information and I tell you what I'm going to give you access to these 20 pieces of information in my common data environment which will assure to you that I'm taking less risks as we talked about in the last podcast so therefore you could probably give me a discount on my insurance because I'm showing you we're taking less risks right so there's a couple of savings we've got there now I've got to raise some more capital by going out and selling the vision to some potential people who are going to be living in these houses or flats all right so a good way of doing that of course is using 3d cad so i'm going to go and buy a 3d cad package uh, and i'm going to dummy up what one of the houses looks like and then if it's a really good visualization i can then take that to somebody and go look do you want to buy off spec do you want to plant look at this uh, people go oh well, i like that but i want that over there most 3d cad package not a problem i just move that from there to there done how does that look oh yeah i'm gonna have that And now you've got something really powerful to start raising even more capital right from the very beginning. And you can get some sort of um, sales figures right at the very beginning. Things that are always really important here is things like the carbon world okay cop 26 it's coming up people who are building are going to have to start paying attention to the carbon encapsulating in the buildings and how well those buildings are insulated how well they're going to be powered by uh you know maybe solar panels on the roof or down the sides and how well those systems inside the building are going to be not overheating it not making it too cold making sure things open close and air circulates without having to have expensive fans that kind of stuff not only have you got a set of information that you are working towards with that rules and regulations from from COP26, um, but what you're also doing is you're demonstrating what information that you need to firstly design that, then to measure and monitor how that's going, and then finally, how they're going to be able to measure and monitor that in the future when they're operating and maintaining that building. So you're handing over a building that you can say, hand on heart, this building will meet the carbon targets that you have set as a client and I know that because the information's there and you can go down a whole lot of things you can put it you know um, uh, you can put guarantees on your cladding on the environmental impacts your societal impacts you can do things like risk mitigation during the construction to looking at sequencing oh there's a whole host of things My there's so many things you God, can do right there's there's so many and it's things all information and,
1: and and there's it's all bim yeah and it's all information so the more mm. that you have the information the better your yeah. next project yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the better yeah, your indeed. next project the better your next project so it's di- i appreciate it. it's 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 difficult to probably put a cost to it starting it it's not difficult to understand I think everyone listening will understand this is this is where the world is going it's going there very very quickly and this is something which we should all all developers all contractors should be thinking about seriously so just to Conclude things, in. If there was a single piece of advice you could give me on my project to get me started with BIM, what would it be?
2: Start looking at the value proposition. It's always about value. How much is it going to cost you to collect a piece of information and how much is it going to cost you not to collect a piece of information? Okay. look at the value proposition right from the very start and then collect the information that's valuable to you. And then because it's valuable to you, you can make decisions and you can take actions based on it. And those decisions and actions will help you save money, reduce your risk, reduce your health and safety issues, uh, potentially risk, reduce the time taken on construction sites. So it really is working out what is valuable to you as an organisation. If it's not valuable, don't do it. If, if buying a 3D software package, uh, because all you do is look on 2D plans from above and that's all you need to do, don't buy a 3D software package, okay? Buy the stuff that will add value to your organization and whether that's buying stuff as in information buying stuff as in um, technology or buying stuff as in standards and getting people to come in and help you interpret them. But always find out what's valuable first. And if you can't see the value, try and get somebody who's already done something similar to articulate the value to you. Yeah, that makes perfect, perfect
1: sense. It's not something that we can ignore. It's something that is going to add huge amounts of value. And there are more and more people out there who can help you to understand and comprehend it. That is great. We kind of got to where I wanted to get to, Ian. <laughs> uh, uh, together, with a, together with a lot more uh, added information, as is always the case from you. So thank you so much for coming in. It was really, really good. And um, as, as before, we will be putting the details of Bentley Systems and Ian in the podcast description. Thank you so much for coming in. Ian, we loved having it was, you. Yeah.
2: It was an absolute pleasure, Paul Liam. Every time, I thoroughly enjoy myself. You give me a soapbox to stand on and rant, uh, and it's and it's very few, very few times I actually get a chance to, to to really rant about things, apart from either to the dog or my good lady wife. So um, <laughs> yes, so yeah. Well, just, absolute it pleasure. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have you on, and
1: and please keep thinking about how we can get into the mindset of the SMEs because I'm totally seeing the value and uh, I just want to keep on trying to understand it and digest it and I'm sure our listeners do as well so great to have you on as always Ian no worries yeah it was great Ian thank thanks you. both and so thank, thank you uh, everyone for listening and uh, we will see you again or we will speak with you again next week have a good week cheers guys
0: cheers bye